Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, second hour is here. Glad you're with us. Outkick 360 with Hutton and Withrow. Sixth and Peabody Air Location, Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine made here daily. We've got Mike Renner coming up from Pro Football Focus. He'll join us in about 20 minutes. We'll recap the NFL Combine, the top storylines, including Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, and more. Chad, we have Josh Pate in an hour. Looking forward to that conversation. Always good. From Pate State. And then uh, A.J. Perez, front office sports senior reporter on the Washington Commanders. Sell or not? We'll find out from Perez. That's coming up in hour number three. Chad, Calvin Ridley is back. He's been reinstated back into the NFL after gambling on NFL games after a one-year suspension. And today, the NFL made it official. They could have done this last month if they would have chosen to do it on the day he was eligible to apply to be reinstated, which he did. But he's a former first-round pick of Atlanta. They traded him, of course, to Jacksonville. And now he's another weapon that will be on the field for Trevor Lawrence in 2023. The right move, and the suspension was way too long for the $1,500, roughly, that was wagered. And here's the thing. It's not because of the fact that he... He wagered or participated in gambling for the NFL on NFL games. It's just period, point, point blank. You can't do it on anything if you're a paid employee of the league in some way. Was he betting against his team? Did we ever find out? Were no. there prop bets? I think there was some prop bet stuff, right? I think the props all had to do with his – if he did it with the Falcons, it was on – it benefited Falcons, the Falcons. Guys. And he was out for the games that he was wagering on. And – the others was like a parlay, I believe, with other games. It's one of those stories that just makes me think, just why is that with it? Because here's what I mean. Yeah. There's this longstanding thing that if you do anything that's remotely involved with gambling on sports and you're in the sport, well, that's, that's a no-no, and you're done at that point. doesn't matter if you bet against your team, for your team, whatever. If you're actively involved in a pro sport and you gamble in any way – that's going to be really bad news. I understand the idea behind that, and you don't want the look of any impropriety, but there has to be some nuance here. You're not on the team. You're not outwardly betting against your own team, so you're not affecting the outcome of the game. Let's start there. Not playing, you're not negatively affecting the outcome of the game. You're not shaving points. You're not intentionally trying to lose. The amount of money wagered is pretty low considering what money is wagered in America at $1,500 for a guy with his salary as well. You got to put all those factors in, Hutton, and say, you know, maybe a year is too much. You know, maybe a less uh, suspension than that. You know, let's really look at it. Let's weigh this against, I don't know, some domestic violence things that have happened in the league, some gun charges all these other awful things that go on. Let's look and see what's really fair and not just throw a blanket over anything involving sports wagering and say, oh, no, 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 that's the unforgivable sin. That's a no-no. You're so, out for a year for doing that, especially when you partner with sports books now. So what he did, there, there, 
bets were made online with Hard Rock Sportsbook while he was away from the team due to injury. He had three multi-leg parlays, and some of those bets included at least one NFL game. I think it was the Dolphins and someone, maybe. Uh, at least one NFL game has been reported. And then on, he had a three-team, a five-team, and an eight-team parlay. He put $500 on each of those parlays. And his name was on his account. The sports book turned him in. Did the investigation for the league. And that's how he got caught. I, I When I first saw the sports book that he was wagering with, my thought was, well, he got a year because he didn't wager with the official partner of the NFL. That's a bigger send to the NFL than anything. Oh, you didn't go with what is it, draft, with, yeah. is it DraftKings or FanDuel? Yeah, or Caesars, which is on the Superdome now in New yeah. Orleans. Oh, you didn't go with one of our three official partners? That's a season. If you would have gone with one of the three, Roger Goodell said it would have been half a year. But because you went with an outside sports book, that's an even more unforgivable send. You always partner with our league partners. It's just ridiculous. It doesn't. I understand why you want to keep that out of your sport with guys actively playing because you want to uphold the integrity of your competition. But let's actually take some, you know, a microscope to each story and say, all right, what's really fair in this situation? You can't apply nuance to this and not throw a blanket over it. The NFL failed in this instance. Novak Djokovic has officially withdrawn from Indian Wells and their open that's being hosted this week. The draw happens today. Uh, Tournament officials made it official yesterday where he waited until the very last minute, but it's clear that his application for uh, entry into the country as an an unvaccinated athlete for COVID-19 was looked over. They're they're not giving him any special treatment to come and play inside the United States. He's unvaxxed. We know that. We know his stance on it. And here's the thing. The uh, May 11th, I believe, is the date where everything's going to be lifted as far as travel is concerned. And he was asking for leniency on getting into uh, the states in order to play here. And it was, again, denied. You had Senator Rick Scott from Florida on uh, over the weekend uh, tweeted that they tried to help out the waiver re- request for Djokovic to no avail. Uh, Marco Rubio wrote a letter to President Biden on this to no avail. And again, the emergency declaration from the United States for COVID-19 in terms of traveling into the country ends on May 11th, uh, where foreigners will be able to uh, travel inside uh, the country for whatever reason. They, that ban will be lifted or unvaccinated. We're, just, we're really hanging on to this thing, I right? Know. We have got our finger. I feel like Al Pacino on any given Sunday. You know, we're hanging on by our fingernails right now, trying to get any last itch. Yeah of vax talk that we can in this country and make sure that people are held accountable for not getting vaccinated. We are just hanging on for dear life. May 11th? Is that when this ends? May 11th. Well, that's what they say. I mean, I, it's remarkable to me that this is still a thing. Well, it's actually ended. That's the, that's the craziest thing to that's me. Is thing. That I just feel like everyone just kind of said, you know, it's like the unspoken deal. Like, ah, just come on in. It's fine. You know, I don't really care anymore. No one really cares. I'll act like I care on social media about it, but I don't really care. So come on if you're on. It doesn't really matter. And here you have an ins- where you've got this global sports superstar, Novak Djokovic, that cannot get into the U.S. 22-time Grand compete, Slam champion. To compete in huge tennis tournaments. In 2023. That would help the business of all of these local areas because Novak Djokovic is there. And no, we, hey guys, there's going to be no appeal process here. We got the rules until May 11th. These are the rules. There's no flexibility here. He will either get vaccinated 
right now or he will not participate in the United States. It's just a truly, I don't care what side you're on on vaccinations, you have to take a look at this and laugh that we are still talking about this these many months later with a lot of new information out there and everything else that we know. And here we are still talking about Novak Djokovic can't get into the United States. If Pfizer, Pfizer's facing lawsuits, but Djokovic Remarkable. Can't, can't travel from Dubai to here because he's trying to play in back-to-back tournaments. Um, where, Woody Harrelson's making jokes on SNL. <laughs> I mean, Lorne Michaels is allowing You're Woody right. Harrelson. Lorne Michaels in the SNL cast, who are as far left, progressive, whatever you want to call them, as anyone else, are now sitting back and making some jokes. Yeah, they're now to the point where they're laughing at it. About all this. They're yeah. joining in on the joke, too. Woody Harrelson is talking about Pfizer being a drug cartel. And that there should be a, a script to a movie about all the cartels getting together and deciding they're going to sell all these drugs. And if you don't take them, you can't do anything. And it's so unbelievable that no one would buy the script. Yet Novak Djokovic cannot get into the United States. It's to a play, funny... To play tennis. This is comedy to me. Like this is, this is like the movie Idiocracy by Mike Judge. This is just pure comedy. I, I, I've read this headline. I'm thinking, What? How? Oh, wait, there's actually, he can't even get into the country because of our laws? Yeah. <laughs> it's just. Yeah, no one can. If, unless you I mean, come on, I'm not status. trying to make light of, you know, anyone who's sick or was sick or anything else, but where we are now with this, yeah. this is pure comedy. This is funny to me that this is still a story. Chad, I thought it was a joke when I saw the headline that Adam Silver, the commissioner of the National Basketball Association, is in line, he's on a short list of those in line to take over for Bob Iger at Disney as CEO whenever Iger steps away and retires in two years. I could have listed, I don't know how many names in sports. I would not have mentioned Adam Silver if you said it's going to be a sports figure. Who will it be? And Adam Silver is on a short list to take over for Disney. He, uh, The background for him is sports. It's, you know, it's not into movies and film and uh, the areas that Disney funds everything else with. I'm intrigued to learn more on this, but at the same time, I think surely this was a, a joke headline, and it's, it's not. It's right in line with apparently what Disney wants. I think Adam Silver's a really smart guy. I mean, every time I've heard him interviewed, like I think he's a very intelligent guy. I think he's probably a good manager in a lot of areas and understands business and media and all those things. And he, there's some things that he does really well. He's also been a big part in what is to me a, a diminishing return from the NBA. And no I doubt. the financials show that also, by the way. So it's not just me in my opinion saying that. So it's crazy that he could fall, he could fail upwards here yeah, going falls, from yeah. what is a much bigger job then the NBA commissioner is being the head of Disney, which you know basically controls media at this point. Mm-hmm. So we just got done talking about last week the Murdoch story down yeah. in South Carolina and how this really unveiled this interconnected good old boy network in South Carolina of guys you know scratching each other's back to get favors done, everything else, things that we know Cut about court, in America yeah. and all this. To me, this is like the major media New York City version of the good old boy club. Adam Silver probably just had some really good friends in really high places. He's one of three finalists, though. That's why this is getting out there, and that's also why he is one of three finalists. Like, okay, are you really progressive? 
Are you going to come in and change the races of all the old Disney stories and put them back on there? If you check all these boxes, then we will consider you for the next CEO of Disney. And that's that's what Adam Silver checks. I mean, it's the biggest so media company there. in the world. Yeah, we just, we mentioned them last week. One hundred eighty billion is what they're worth worth on the market. I don't want to say that Adam Silver's Alec Murdoch, <laughs> but do you think Alec Murdoch is is? You think that you look at him and you're like, oh, this is a guy who should run a major law firm in an area. Like, he looks, he seems one area, confident enough. The one area where it's like, oh, that makes sense is the long running relationship that the NBA and yeah, Disney look, slash ESPN and, has with Iger. Yeah, and but. In Hampton, South Carolina, the boxes you have to check are, do you go <laughs> hunting with this guy? Check. <laughs> Did you go to this public school in the SEC? Yeah. Check. Uh, are, your ki- are your kids friends with each other? Check. Do you know buckshot and birdshot? Right. Do you understand? Do you have a beach house on some <laughs> island in the Atlantic? Check. I mean, th- this is a different set of boxes that, that Silver checks. Progressive. Check. Donates to all the right political causes. Check. Yeah. Uh, has been very progressive in the handling of a major league. Check. They're just going down the list. Knows everyone at Disney and on the board really well. Check. It's just, it's a more sophisticated version of the good old boy system is what we're watching. Here. And you think it's more of like a, hey, thanks for being our friend. You're a finalist. Yeah. But you're th- not the guy. Look, I think that they're, they're, you know, people legitimately believe he'll do a good job also that are involved in this. But I think a lot of people on the board or whatever they have making these decisions, they know Silver, they're comfortable with him, they like him, and that's why he's a finalist. Chad, we- I don't think there's a lot of sports fans that are making this decision. The no. sports fans would look at it and say, wait a minute, this guy has not been that great for a beloved sports league. Why would he run Disney? I think it's people that don't know sports that are going to make this decision. Chad, I'm surprised we're already seeing Chris Beard's name in the same season linked with other teams after he was fired from Texas and knowing the details, no charges brought forward, but knowing the details as to why Texas uh, l- let him go, fired him with cause uh, earlier this season, given the circumstances of the situation. And now, uh, Mark Adams, head coach at Texas Tech, he has been placed on suspension, uh, suspended after a racially insensitive comment made around a, a, a Bible verse involving slavery and slave-serving masters. And you asked Dockage about this earlier. He's inevitably going to be out. But here's another. He's a 66-year-old coach who, I mean, if Chris Beard's already back in the mix, he will be too. And he's already addressed it with the team, and he's still suspended. Yeah, it's... Here's the thing with Mark Adams and and anyone that's going to quote Scripture. It's one thing to quote Scripture. And you can do that, right? I mean, you can do that with your team. I've got no issue with that. I just think it's very odd that you want to quote scripture about, you know, a slave serving their master when you're the, the guy's coach. That, that yeah. doesn't seem to be hitting at the right he, points. And also, it, to me, it's very, um, with everything with Christianity, pointing out that verse in a coach-player relationship is incredibly self-serving of Mark Adams. And, and, yet, and he so was encouraging co- players receiving coaching from their coaches. Just like the Bible said, that you know, workers, uh, and servants teachers. submit to their masters, or or whatever it was. I, again, I just think this is a very self-serving thing to say. If you're going to quote scripture to your players when you're quoting something about serving me and not service to each other, I got an issue with that. If if you're Mark Adams, I, I get it. Is what I'm saying. I I don't. 
I don't think this is necessarily right of him in, the, in this situation. And maybe that surprises people, but I can understand Texas Tech being upset with this. Now, there's two sides of the story. You got the thing coming out now that a player says he spit on him. And then Mark Adams is saying, I didn't spit on him. I was ill and I was coughing for a month and I happened to cough and slobber on him. But then the player said, and he said after he did that, that I can spit on you whenever I want, by the way. And Mark Adams says, I don't recall saying that. And I'm thinking, eh, okay, maybe, maybe it is time, you know, that this, uh, this maybe ends. Yeah, Texas Tech is looking into this. He's going to get fired. Uh, there's no way yeah. you recover from this. Here's the bottom line, if, and this is not always fair, but the moment you're in charge of African-American players and, and the majority African-American players and you are a white guy and you are labeled a racist because of something you said to your team, it's over. I, I don't think you can come back from that. I think it's going to be very hard for Mark Adams to stay employed and be employed and to recruit young black players to come play for him. That's just the bottom line of, of where we are. I, I don't see him coming back from this professionally. Well, I want to learn more details of this, like from the, the spitting angle of the combat. Yeah, there's going to be players that defend him. You know, uh, uh, Dan Dockage brought up Pat Chambers at Penn State. There were plenty of, of African-American players who defended him after the fact. I think you'll get a lot of that with Texas Tech as well. And he's going to go serve as an assistant somewhere. He's yeah. a longtime valued assistant. He'll be on someone's staff. I just... The days of him running a Power 5 basketball program are over. That is my prediction. Coming up, Mike Renner joins us, Pro Football Focus's lead draft analyst. We recap the combine, and we start with the predicted, it was an easy prediction, buzz around one player, Anthony Richardson, quarterback from Florida. That's next on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine, Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. It was predictable, right? The freak athlete that is Anthony Richardson we was going to show coming. out at the NFL Combine. We're going to lead with that in just a moment with Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus, their lead draft analyst. But on Friday, Dan Mullen, former head coach of the Florida Gators, spoke about the quarterback he knows well. 
of raw talent, he might be the most talented raw talent quarterback I've ever been with. Um, you know, and and been around, and I've been around some great ones. You know, I mean, the, on raw talent, he, he's up there with with in, in Cam Newton levels, but maybe even you know, I want to upset Cam, but even more talented than Cam, just on on, on his athletic ability, his accuracy, how the ball jumps out of his hands at a younger age, you know, Cam, I think worked and really had the athleticism, but really developed. I thought Anthony is just even more of a natural thrower um, with his throwing motion and uh, how the ball comes out of his hands. And, you know, and you, you look at some of these guys that, that have been out there. He has all that raw talent. That's former head coach, Dan Mullen there. We welcome in Mike Renner, a pro football focus, the lead draft analyst who was in Indy and has been covering all of this for pro football focus mike we i'm sure you also could have predicted this right the buzz was going to be about anthony richardson did he meet expectations <laughs> it's hard when you are uh to say he didn't meet expectations when he tests out as the most athletic quarterback of all time uh so <laughs> yeah i think he met expectations but I, I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said we all saw this coming it's like you can't double count it because you knew it already on tape so the fact that he's getting buzzed now it's like, did you not watch him at Florida? Did you not see this coming? The dude's a freak. Like, we all knew it. And it, it's got to be, obviously, you know, we watch a lot of his games covering the SEC and watching everything in that conference. It's the inconsistency, you know, that we, that we all knew about, why he's not automatically the no-brainer number one overall pick, given all that athleticism. Mike, how do you account for that inconsistency when you try to evaluate Anthony Richardson? It's tough, right? Because like Will Levis is inaccurate too. The Kentucky quarterback's inaccurate too. Will Levis' career completion percentage is ten percentage points higher than Anthony Richardson. So we're we're talking about different levels here of inaccuracy. But you know there are things about his game that are fixable when it comes to accuracy. Like a lot of his inaccurate throws due to a, are due to a very inconsistent base. You'll see one throw and his feet will be about you know six feet apart. Or <laughs> not? Maybe that's exaggerating, but like four or five feet apart as he's releasing it, and you have another one where they're about two feet, they're just his shoulder width apart. He's very inconsistent with the platforms he's throwing off of, and, and so that's obviously going to lead to a lot of airmails, a lot of spikes. It's going to lead to you know up and down issues, which I think are his biggest issues you see on tape. So if you can get more consistent with that, you can expect an uptick in accuracy. Now, the thing is, with tools the way he possesses, with as talented he is as a runner, you don't need to be too much more accurate. You, know, you don't need to be too much better of a passer to really make an impact at the NFL level, kind of how we saw with Justin Fields this past year. He was in no way a good passer, but the dude's legs brought him a high floor and that Bears offense put some points on the scoreboard because of it. So I do think that that's why you're seeing teams getting on board with top 10 hype, because if he came and ran a 4-8, he would not even be drafted in this year's draft. Mullen, I know you heard mention Cam Newton. You think there's another comp for Anthony Richardson? Yeah, Newton, it's just putting him in too polished an air as a passer. I, I thought Newton was much more of a, now he could lower the shoulder, but he, he was much more of a smooth athlete, not necessarily the sudden, powerful athlete that Anthony Richardson is. He reminds me, just in terms of physicality, of someone like Dante Culpepper, where it's just guys will melt off of his frame at the NFL level. And Culpepper, obviously, a little before his time, in terms of you know utilizing yeah. in terms of offense corners utilizing that like rushing threat that physicality to his you know imagine Dante Culpepper running sneaks the way the Eagles run sneaks right now that 
that would have been unstoppable back in the day. Do was 255 pounds. So it's a unique skill set that Richardson possesses. But I do think you see it, you know, with Dante Culpepper, who was more accurate coming out for sure. But his best ability was just that athleticism paired with a cannon. And you get him a big play receiver. Obviously, when Culpepper had Moss, probably not going to get a Moss or Richardson, but you can get some speed and some deep threats. You pair that together and you have an explosive offense that doesn't need, you know, it doesn't need to complete 70% of his passes. It can only complete 60, but the ones that it does complete are going to be, you know, 40 yards down the football field. Well, you mentioned the word frame when talking about Anthony Richardson. On the flip side of that is Bryce Young uh, from a frame standpoint. And I always laugh when, you know, there was speculation. I think he was asked, you know, what are you going to weigh in at at the combine? He said, I I think I'm going to weigh in at 200 pounds. And this was days before. And I'm thinking, if you're saying, I think I'm going to weigh in at a certain amount, it's all fake. That doesn't matter because you're just trying to add weight to weigh in at a certain number. You don't really play at that number. I'm more concerned with your playing weight and your frame and your size to be at your most effective. How big are you? When you see his size, what's the level of concern, Mike, in terms of his ability to stay healthy at the next level? Yeah, when I hear an answer like that, all I'm thinking is agent, agent, agent in his ear. That that is not Bryce Young's opinion. Or I think like UFC fighter. You know, like I plan on weighing at this, but then I'm going to lose 20 pounds the moment I leave in. I'm going to gain 20 pounds if if my agent told me to lose weight for the combine. None of it's real if you're like planning out a date where you're going to weigh a certain amount. Yeah, I don't think Bryce Young cares if he's 200 pounds or 190 pounds with the way he himself plays quarterback. Uh, Because just adding that, you know, probably mostly either water weight or fat or a combination of the two isn't going to help you play any better. So I I want him at 185 if that's the way he really was playing at last year. And truthfully, I wanted to see him go to that combine and actually test because I think his athleticism has really gotten underrated in this. Like he can move. He is difficult to even touch in space, let alone tackle. And I think that's one of his biggest selling points is that, you know, yeah, he's a big size outlier, but he's an athletic outlier too. Like, this guy can really move. He could play slot receiver tomorrow if he really wanted to with those movement skills. But I want those movement skills at quarterback because, you know, we just talked about Anthony Richardson and when they stood side by side or anywhere near each other, they look like they played different sports altogether. And that should really tell you the fact that we're still talking about Young as a better prospect should just tell you how impressive he is on tape that we're talking about a guy who's 5'10", probably in the 185 to 190 range, being the bona fide QB1 because his tape is that unbelievable when you flip it on. To me, from a on-field perspective, it's right up there with Joe Burrow as a prospect. It's right up there with Trevor Lawrence as a prospect. The only thing that he doesn't have that those guys had was the size. And truthfully, if he was six foot four, we would be talking about him as maybe even a better prospect than those guys. Mike Renner with us from Pro Football Focus. Why is C.J. Stroud not in that stratosphere, in the same atmosphere as those other quarterbacks you just mentioned? I think C.J. Stroud, the one aspect that he doesn't quite have is the creativity to his game. He's very much a point-and-shoot type of quarterback. And there's nothing wrong with that. That can win at the NFL level for sure. Like that's, you know, that has been traditionally what's won at the NFL level for, you know, from West Coast offense on. So it just doesn't quite fit the wave of creators at the position. The guys who really have that creativity, that outside of structure, that, that ability to nothing's there, I'm going to put the team on my back. I'm going to make something happen. Uh, you just didn't see that on his tape anywhere near as much as you saw on the tape of a Bryce Young. And then the other thing was on top of that, you just didn't see him handle pressure well. And that's worrisome given 
that he was not under pressure a lot, that this Ohio State offensive line, as we're going to see, has two top 50 picks starting at left and right tackle and maybe another top 100 pick at center. Like it was one of the best offensive lines in college football, if not the best. And so that's just an easy situation. It's kind of the Ohio State quarterback knock now that they're playing the game on easy mode. And just what's that going to look like once it gets to the NFL? I think that's probably the most worrisome thing uh, about it is that just it's going to be a completely different game for him. Now, I love him still, but it just comes with more question marks than Bryce Young, whose offensive line or receiving core looked nothing like Ohio State's this year. I think this will help put in perspective for our viewers and, and radio audience alike. Um, where would Kenny Pickett be in this year's quarterback crop? I think he'd be firmly QB5 wow. in this year's quarterback. Okay. Like, it, with this class, now obviously he went pick 20 and whatever, right. but like with this class, you, you would be surprised you would probably like four quarterbacks in the first round. It might push them to day two in a class like this. I, I think it's that good of a quarterback class. So who is QB five in this year's draft? QB five. I lean towards. So obviously we mentioned the four guys, Levis, Richardson, Stroud, Young. I lean towards Tanner McKee. Now it would have been a debate if Hendon Hooker was healthy, but after the torn ACL, thinking that may torpedo his rookie year, his development at already 25 years old with that Tennessee offense being as just gimmicky, college whatever you want to say, and not translatable as it is. Um, I just think he's too far behind the developmental curve. I, I'll lean Tanner McKee to Stanford quarterback just because of the accuracy. What do you think about his traits overall, though? Taking the offense part out of it, and we've, we've discussed at length that every Mike Leach quarterback, every Josh Heupel quarterback will probably get the label of a system quarterback because mm-hmm. of the offense they're in. But when you see his, his height, his size, his accuracy, his velocity, his deep ball, what do you not like about Hendon Hooker in terms of the traits you see on the field? I think – I, I like all those things. I'll just say that. I like all those things. The, the one thing that I really come back to that I worry a bit about him is that he drops his eyes quickly. Like if once he is not a passer anymore, once he has to move off his spot, he is immediately a runner. I think he, in his Tennessee career, the stat was he has like three completions after he broke the pocket his entire, entire Tennessee career. That's like, that's a little worrisome. That's just not necessarily how, now he's a good athlete. Don't get me wrong. But that's not really how the game is played at the NFL level. You have to be able to move off your spot. You have to be able to stick with your progressions, even when things start to get muddied. Whereas as soon as it starts to get muddy at Tennessee, he was all of a sudden a runner. He was all of a sudden getting out there on the move. So that's something that's just a little worrisome, again, in his prospect profile projecting to the next level. Mike, non-quarterback, who improved their stock the most? Maybe just gained an extra boost from where they were pre-Indianapolis to now the Monday after. There's a number of guys. I think the one that I've really gone back to is Jackson Smith and Jigba, the Ohio State wide receiver, because we didn't see him. You didn't see him all fall when he did. He was hampered with a hamstring injury. Just was not the same. But last time we saw him, he was only 19 years old. You know, when when Justin Jefferson was a 19 year old, he was not the first round prospect and future top three wide receiver that he is now in the NFL. Like guys can at that age seriously develop. Physically, and I think with Jackson Smith and Jigba, I'm not not saying he necessarily did, but I do think that the athleticism concerns. And while we still didn't still didn't see him run a forty, the three cone and the short shuttle were elite times, and especially elite when you consider he's 196 pounds in a class full of sub 180 pound wide receivers. So in, in a class that's not great 
he is the surest thing at that position. And when you are that agile and can change directions the way he did, and not only the three cone, the short shuttle, but in the obviously the on field portion and the drills, I think teams are just going to say, we'll take the, we'll take the sure thing. We'll take the slot receiver that we know is going to be a high end slot receiver his entire career here. When you see some of these pass rushers run such fast 40 times, Nolan Smith in the four threes, Byron Young from Tennessee in the four fours, does that jump off the page to you? Or do you think we're sort of entering an era now where, we're going to see more and more of this, the way the college game is played, guys that are you know 240s, 250s that can run this way. It seems like every year now there's at least one, if not two, right? Montez Sweat went 4-4. Uh, Dafe Owe went 4-4. This is just becoming commonplace. And I feel for offensive tackles around the NFL. I don't know how they block these guys. Uh, it's becoming increasingly more difficult, but yeah, I, I think Nolan Smith really did himself. You know, obviously, with the pec injury, didn't get to see him second half of the year. I think the numbers he put up really put him in that top 15 to top 20 conversation. Uh, you think about Hassan Reddick, who's the Eagles' edge rusher, one of the you know best sack artists in the NFL, had a monster season. He was billed as like a freak coming out at the almost exact same size and ran a 4.52 in almost a tenth of a second slower, didn't jump nearly as high. And they're like, oh, look at this athletic freak, Hassan Reddick. Well, they're getting a little freakier. Nolan Smith's in that similar mold that as a pure speed rusher that Georgia didn't really utilize him in such a role. I think he can be a nightmare at the next level. Mike Renner with us from Pro Football Focus. How much buzz just as you're out and about in Indy was about Jalen Carter and everything going on in Athens? And what's the impact that you feel that will have on late April in his draft stock? Yeah, we couldn't. you couldn't stay away from it. You couldn't have any conversations about the top of the draft without mentioning it right because it throws a wrench not only in uh where his future plans where he gets drafted but the bears and the trade options yeah. that they're going to be willing to explore you know indianapolis colts was felt like an easy destination trading down from one to four because you were going to either get him or you're going to get will anderson well there's a big difference between him and will anderson's prospects and maybe a tyree wilson from texas tech who might be the next position player off the board in terms of the certainty with which you feel like them being impact players at the next level. So uh, I do think that's going to be one of the biggest stories, if not the biggest story to track heading into the combine, or excuse me, into the hour of the combine, into the actual NFL draft. But it would not surprise me if, you know, with as talented as he is, and with how we've seen NFL teams find ways to make excuses for guys who are damn good at football, would not surprise me that if this just kind of gets swept under the rug, draft day, he gets picked in the top four. GM says all the right stuff. Carter says all the right stuff. And maybe some fans complain, but come come next fall, they won't be complaining when he's on the football field for them. Yeah, and the rumors were circulating, as it always happens in Indy, Mike, where the, the Bears want this year's first from a team plus a second, and then the next two years, first-round picks in exchange for pick number one. And I know that depends on where, you're, where they're moving back in the first round. But from there to okay, which teams are going to move up and pay that price? Was there a sense of the team that you feel will be the most aggressive in trying to get ahead of Houston at number two? Well, to pay that kind of price, you like it's not the Colts going to be doing that. It's not the Texans going to be doing that. If you're that close, you're not. it's not going to cost that much. The teams that I could see being that desperate, two teams. I think one, the Tennessee Titans, because you are either jumping the Texans for Bryce Young or you're playing against Bryce Young for the next decade and Trevor Lawrence in that same division. So 
this might be the year to make, you know, to sell out with obviously kind of this tear down rebuild that they're in, throw some picks away and go get your guy. Uh, they could make a lot of sense or New York jets, two picks later, if they're out of, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to be a jet, if they kind of are left out in the cold in this quarterback carousel, we find every spring would not surprise me if they're willing to mortgage it all just to get a guy like Bryce Young in the fold because of how good that roster is already and how special that core could be. You could say, you know, our next couple first round picks, not going to be nearly as impactful as what Bryce Young could do with this roster. And then anyone in the NFC South, not New Orleans, right? Like they could be any of those teams as well that we know are quarterback needy based on the current depth chart. Yeah, the thing is with them, so sitting at eight, sitting at nine, they might be thinking, hey, we'll just we'll take an Anthony Richardson that falls to us. We'll we'll uh we'll wait to see if CJ Stroud falls. We we don't want to give up a future first because we're we may not be a good team next year. You know, that future first might be a top five pick that gets us a quarterback. So I, I could see their conversations for those teams being a little bit different, uh still being in striking distance with four quarterbacks probably still going in the top ten. How good is the running back crop this year? And just to compare it to another deep class, the corners this year seem to be very good. They are. Those are, for my money, probably the top two positions in this draft. I know tight end's very good, too. Tight end's right in the realm. But those have you know, top-end talent. This running back class and the cornerback class, they got top-end talent. They got depth. They got really everything. They got a little something for everyone. Uh, to me, this running back class is probably as good as I've seen since at least, I believe, I want to say 2018, that was what, Saquon year, Nick Chubb, uh, I think Rashad Penny that year. Like that one had a lot of top 50 picks. I don't know if we're going to see draft capital-wise it be that good, but I think there's you know, so 10 guys in this class, over 10 guys. I think there's 13 guys in this class that the grades I had on them would have made them top five running backs in last year's class. So that, that just tells you how deep, this this uh this group goes with obviously Bijan Robinson at the top headlining it and Jameer Gibbs with the four three six he ran maybe sneaking into the first as well so love that one and then the cornerback class you saw it in Indy the times those guys were putting up yeah. everyone running a four three somehow uh, yeah I'm a big fan of that corner class I, I think if you're in the first round you really can't go wrong taking one of these guys. Well, going back to running back, uh, you know, the news out today that the Titans were gauging interest in a potential trade on what they could get in return for Derrick Henry. I think those in Nashville are thinking, well, that means they're throwing in the towel, not necessarily considering who they could potentially draft later after the first round. Yes, and this free agency class is one of the deepest in recent history too, so... If you want to transform your running back room, this is the offseason to do so. Were there coaches that didn't show up other than than the Rams this year? Is that becoming more of the trend to the combine? Yes, it is because it's a week of work still. You know, these teams still have a ton of scouting to do. You've got to prepare yourself as much as possible. And if you've ever been to the combine in Indy, there's not a ton of work going on after, you know, 5 p.m. Now, right. some of those guys w- will be humping it. You know, some of those guys are really nine uh, sun up to sundown. The Brandon Staley's of the world are really getting after it. <laughs> but uh, a lot of a lot of coaches enjoy themselves out there in Indy. So uh, they're, it, oh, they're getting it, after I it, could just see, in a different way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I could see I could see that becoming a bigger trend is not sending maybe just sending a few guys on these trips because truthfully the amount, the amount you glean from being on that field, watching them do position workouts. It's not that much. The tape still came. Mike Renner. Uh, he evaluates that tape at pro football focus. You can check him out on Twitter at PFF underscore Mike. 
great stuff, man. Thank you for the perspective, and hopefully we'll be able to check in with you before before round one really kicks off in KC. For sure, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks, Mike. There's Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus. Again, the lead draft analyst there for their site. Always a tremendous site for information on really beneath good. the surface. Uh, Chad, the live Netflix special. Selective outrage. Chris Rock finally used the Will Smith slap as stand-up comedy. Almost a year later, he publicly has his response. timing is right on the... Uh, we're very close to the Oscars, right? Yeah. Coming up, what, next week or two weeks from now? We'll discuss Chris Rock addressing the slap. Next, and I'll get 360. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Six of the Peabody Air location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, was the Chris Rock special on Netflix last night, or was it Saturday night? Saturday night. Saturday night. Was it actually live? Yeah. I didn't see this guy fumble once or stumble once over any word. I don't think they would lie about that. I think there's some... uh there's some issues when you say something's 100% live and it's was not. Was it streamed live for like debuted as live? Yeah. But it was taped live or was... You, you know where I really knew it was live? So they went to it and it was like a pre-show and a post-show. Yeah. And they were at the comedy store in LA is where it started. And they had a host and they brought out JB Smoove at one point to the audience. And not that it was bad. I'm just watching. I'm like, right. this is very clearly live. Yeah. They're trying Unedited. to do a bit where he's talking to the audience and you could tell there was no editing done. You know, the camera's a little slow okay. to get to him. He's, you know, his mic doesn't work in the post show, and they have to give him a handheld mic at one point because he was so loud when he was moving. His his live <laughs> mic was just little things you can tell. Like, okay, this is live. This is very clearly a live show. It was very the open of it. I could tell was live when they had the camera on him. You could see him talking to someone, saying "Let's go" or something to take the stage when they were introducing him. And then when he came out, I mean, he's perfected that that whole stand-up special for yeah. months now. He's been doing it in front of well, audiences for a while. It for the first two-thirds before he hit Will Smith, um, I felt like I was back at Zany's that yeah. night. We went and watched him just try jokes on stage in front of 200 people. It, I thought it was really good. I thought the first 20 minutes were probably the worst. Yeah, because I, I kept wanting the Will thing. Smith stuff. That's what I, I wanted yeah, to hear I the knew. other stuff. Like, I'll go back and find it. Just give me the time. Stamp. I heard from someone who had been to his live show that wait till the last 15 minutes. Okay. He waits on, he kind of teases Will Smith. He starts with, you know, his first joke is anyone who says words hurt have never been slapped or punched in the <laughs> face before because that hurts. And then he teases it up until the end with the Will Smith material. I thought it was really well done. Again, I thought the first 15, 20 minutes, he was really sort of feeling his way out with the audience. And once he started getting the huge laughs on stage, he started rolling. It was much so, more of a Chris Rock stand-up special for the middle part of it to the very end with, uh, with Will Smith. I'll tell you one way, Hutton, I knew 
Uh, you didn't make it to the end, did you? I, I have. I've gone back and you watched it. Yeah. Well, where you know it's live is that in the very end, he screws up the concussion joke. Oh, yeah, that's right. He says in the middle, he's like, well, and I screwed that up because I was supposed to say concussion is what he was <laughs> mad at. They, they were mad they, at him. He hosted the Oscars, and Will Smith wasn't nominated for concussion, and he said he wasn't nominated for emancipation. And the joke was they were so mad he wasn't nominated for concussion, he gave me one. Years later, and he said, I screwed that joke up. I should have said concussion. He started over, if you notice, and, in the middle of the stand-up bit. And, I mean, I was not expecting him to go down the path of Will Smith's wife again. And he did. Oh, he went all in. And that, that's, that was so intriguing to me, is how, what will be the response? Will Smith claims he's tried to reach out to him multiple times to no avail. That's the other story. This is what's today. confusing, is Chris Rock says in the stand-up, I, and I've reached out to him and haven't heard back. I know. He claims he's reached out to Will Smith and Will Smith's not returning his call. I thought it was great. Look, the bottom line is of what he's saying is Will Smith isn't mad at me. He wants to hit his wife and he can't. Yeah. So he took it that's, out on that's me. That's what he's insinuating. The smallest guy up on the stage. I love how he said, don't let all the camera trickery fool you. He is significantly bigger than I am <laughs> when he walked up there and hit him. He's like, did and it basically, hurt? Yeah, he, was, it hurt. He, he was punching down. You know, this is a guy he could go up and attack. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was on the post show, which was odd. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said, yeah, I'm pretty sure if I'd have made that joke, he wouldn't have walked up there and swung up at me, you know, if I were on stage. How about whatever he said, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to cave to the pressure or try to get people to cry for me. I'm not going to go on Oprah or Gail King. Uh, I took that like Manny Pacquiao. <laughs> he said, I took that hit like Manny Pacquiao. I, I would right say back better, up. better. I love how he said he had a concussion and that uh, for the last year, summertime, probably Will Smith was ringing in his ear. <laughs> <laughs> also a really good joke. Look, he, he handled it well. And he said, I'm never going to be a victim about anything. I'm not going to be the victim about all this. So I didn't want to do any of that, you know, where I'm going to play the victim. It was really well done. He made great points. But he was like, Jada hurt him more than I hurt him. Yeah. I mean, again, like, go see it for yourself. But I was surprised he went down this path of. He said, I'm not the one in any entanglements. Yeah. He's not mad at me. He's mad at her. It was good. Incredible. And now Will Smith is not nominated. So if it happened this year, he would be taken out. There's also a joke about. Escorted out. There's also a joke about the movie that Will Smith's in. That Mark Adams would probably make, but I won't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that only that only Chris Rock can make, but it's very funny. To anyone who watches, Pate State, Josh Pate from Twenty Four Seven Sports and Late Kick Live joins us next.